0: Coming up on the keto Camp Podcast, we're going to discuss nine essential lab markers to get on keto, the optimal ranges, what they mean, and so much more. Let's do this. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations Hey Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'm excited to record this episode with you to give you clarity on if keto is working for you or against you. We're going to outline nine important blood tests to order, the standard reference range versus the functional medicine range, what they mean, and so much more. So this is one of those episodes you're going to want to really tune into and pay attention and grab some notes. You might want to revisit this episode a few times. I'm gonna put in the notes of this podcast all of the details that I'm talking about today. So you might wanna just like copy and paste and print it out and bring this to your doctor. This is gonna be a game changer for your health. A lot of people do keto because they wanna lose weight. And for sure, keto will help you lose weight without a doubt, but it doesn't do it in the way that you think it does. Weight loss is a side effect of good metabolic health. So while you will lose weight on keto, I encourage you not to focus on the weight loss. And I've said this before, the body does not lose weight in order to get healthy. It gets healthy in order to lose weight. So before I even get into the lab markers that I'm going to reference today, I, I do believe it's important to focus on what we call in the Keto Camp Academy non-scale victories, NSVs. This is going to give you an accurate measurement, accurate data whether or not this is working for you or working against you. If you're only focusing on the number on the scale, the scale is a damn liar. So I encourage you instead to put the scale away, maybe every 60 days or 30 days you could step on that scale, but instead pay attention to these NSVs and then I'm going to go over the the nine lab markers. So these NSVs include how your clothes fit. Pay attention to how your clothes are fitting. Do you notice that Your clothes are more loose on you. Uh, I would also say taking monthly photos every 30 days or so uh, of yourself, you know, standing in front of the camera. It's only for you to see the photos. You don't have to share them. But a photo of yourself front, side, and back, this is something that I did pretty religiously when I was going through my 80 pounds of weight loss back in 2008. Getting your body fat percentage done is arguably more important than the scale as well. You could buy a pretty cheap meter on Amazon to give you an idea of your body fat percentage. I use one from a product called InBody, and I'll put a link for them down below in the podcast notes. Pay attention to your energy levels, your skin health, your gut health. Do you have more confidence? What about your mental health, your mental cognition? I encourage you to step away from the scale and pay attention to these NSVs. Give yourself 60 days of doing this the right way, and then step on the scale. And you're going to be really surprised with the results on that scale. So I challenge you, if you haven't done so, take some photos right now and let's monitor that. But in addition to those NSVs, I highly suggest you get the following lab tests done. I would say don't guess, test. The more data you have, the more metrics you can analyze for progress and necessary tweaks. This is what we teach our Keto Camp Academy students. Our coaches are really aware of this. In our program and I'm going to share with you nine blood tests I suggest you get done and monitoring these levels and you can do them every 60 or 90 days to make sure this is working for you and not only am I going to share the nine markers with you I'm gonna explain what they mean and the optimal ranges to hit the first thing I want you to realize is that the reference range that comes with your lab report is not the same as a healthy reference range to aim for for example, companies like LabCorp and Quest, which are the more popular companies for lab testing in America, they're factoring in your country's entire population who have done these labs before. And we live in a sick world with unhealthy people, so why do we want to be the average of unhealthy people? Instead, I encourage you to aim for the functional reference range, also called the functional medicine range. Functional medicine lab ranges are usually more narrow, narrower than the standard reference ranges. They are labeled as optimal lab values, meaning anything outside of those optimal values can show patterns and markers that spot trends toward disease. When I give you the suggested reference ranges to hit with the following labs, I'm gonna give you both the standard and the functional medicine range. So the first test is a very common test called hemoglobin A1C. Essentially, it's going to measure how gummed up with sugar are your red blood cells. The HbA1c measures your average blood sugar from the last 90 days or so, three months. Your, blood, your red blood cells carry oxygen to your tissues using a protein called hemoglobin A. The higher your blood glucose, the more glucose sticks to your hemoglobin A1c protein. This is called glycation. And this is going to measure how glycated is your hemoglobin. Glycation is a spontaneous non-enzymatic reaction of free-reducing sugars with free amino acid groups of proteins, DNA, and lipids that forms glycated residues. Sugar is sticky. Think of cotton candy when you were a kid and it stuck to your fingers. Your fingers are protein. This sugar could do the same thing and stick to your arteries and cell walls. Our red blood cells keep a record of your behavior. The answer hides in your red blood cells, specifically your hemoglobin. A1C measures average blood sugars by detecting the glucose stuck to the hemoglobin protein. The higher the A1C, the more glucose that is glycated to your protein. So when you test your A1C, you learn your average blood sugar. You could request this test from your doctor, there are also some companies out there who have created A1C kits to do this at the comfort of your own home, which is very convenient. A normal, quote unquote normal, A1C level is below 5.7%, and it's considered a level of 5.7%, anywhere between 5.7% to 6.4% indicates pre-diabetes, and a level of 6.5% or more indicates diabetes. Within the 5 to 7, 5.7 to 6.4 percent pre-diabetes range, the higher your A1C, the greater your risk for developing type 2 diabetes. Now that is the standard reference range. I, I believe the functional medicine range for A1C is to hit 5.2 percent or lower. So go get that test and let's see if it's 5.2 percent or lower. That is the goal to get to. The second test to request is a test called a C-peptide. C-peptide is a substance that is created when the hormone insulin is produced and released into the body. The insulin C-peptide measures the amount of this protein in the blood. The pancreas makes insulin, but not directly. The beta cells in the pancreas first produce a protein called proinsulin. Each pro-insulin breaks down to the molecule of insulin and one molecule of C-peptide. Both are released when blood sugar levels are high. The more your beta cells get stimulated for insulin production, the faster you gain weight and create inflammation. While moderate levels of lower inflammation, even slightly higher levels have been linked to insulin resistance, metabolic disease, heart disease, and even cancer. So, a C peptide test can give you a good idea if you've been overworking and overwhelming your pancreas and the beta cells in your pancreas. The functional range that we want to aim for is 0.8 to 3.8 nanograms per milliliters. If your C peptide is below 0.6 nanograms per milliliters, it's a sign of possible cell failure and type 1 diabetes. If you see a high C-peptide, this indicates the body is producing too much insulin and you are either insulin resistant or leading, trending towards insulin resistance. This brings me to the third test, which goes hand in hand with the C-peptide. The third test, the third lab marker to get is a fasting insulin. This is a great complement to that C-peptide test. Testing your insulin levels can reveal hidden problems in the way your body controls your blood sugar, years before they escalate to more serious issues such as diabetes. In many cases, your blood sugar levels might not even change for 10 plus years. Meanwhile, you're getting closer each day to developing diabetes. This is because insulin is working so hard to keep those sugar levels normal. After a period of time, insulin cannot keep up with the demand. And at this point, blood sugars start to rise and a diagnosis of prediabetes or diabetes is made. A fasting insulin test allows you to see if you are insulin resistant or on the road to insulin resistance. The standard reference range for a fasting insulin is less than 25 UIU ML. The functional medicine range that you want to aim for for a fasting insulin is between 3 and 7 UIU ML. So we want to aim for single digits. The next test is going to be 25-hydroxyvitamin D. Yes, vitamin D is a very important fat-soluble vitamin, but it's also a hormone, and the body needs to build this—the body uses this hormone and steroid hormone to build and maintain strong bones. It helps absorb calcium in the gut, keeping calcium and phosphorus in balance to mineralize the bones Vitamin D is also supportive of the immune system, and most people are deficient in vitamin D. Even if you live in Miami, Florida, or in the sunshine state of Florida like me, I've seen most people are deficient. I'm gonna explain why, but here are some symptoms of vitamin D deficiency fatigue, not sleeping well, bone pain or achiness, depression or feelings of sadness, hair loss, muscle weakness. loss loss of appetite, getting sick more easily, and pale skin. Is the solution to just take a whole bunch of vitamin D supplements? Not really. I'm not opposed to taking a high-quality vitamin D supplement that has all the fat-soluble vitamins together. That's what you want to do. It should have all vitamins A, D, E, and K together, and you have that with a meal, But it isn't until you lower your insulin levels that you'll be able to change your vitamin D levels for the better. That's because high insulin levels block the production of vitamin D, meaning you could take all the vitamin D in the world and get sunshine every day, but if you're not optimizing your vitamin D levels, you're not going to optimize your vitamin D levels until your insulin levels are optimal, the great news is that everything I teach on this podcast, it teaches you how to lower insulin levels, and ketos and fasting is a great way to do that. Now, the standard reference range for your lab report uh, for vitamin D is typically between 30 and 80 nanograms per milliliter, which is unfortunate because if you have a vitamin D of 38, your doctor might pat you on the back and say, good job, you're in a, you're in a good range there, but that is actually a deficiency. The functional medicine range for vitamin D that you want to hit is between 60 and 80 nanograms per milliliters. That is the goal. My favorite vitamin D-rich foods include eggs, mushrooms, and wild-caught salmon. But remember, the goal is to lower insulin. As you do that, vitamin D will increase. The vitamin D supplement that I personally take and, and recommend to my Keto Camp Academy students is a product called DV3 from Systemic Formulas, and you could get there supplement over at ketocampsupplements.com. Don't take your vitamin D supplement with a in a fasted state, instead take it with a meal to increase absorption plus you might get nauseous when you take it in a fasted state. The fifth test is an inflammatory marker called homocysteine. High homocysteine levels have been linked to many health problems including heart disease, dementia, and Alzheimer's. So when homocysteine cannot be converted to other compounds, it builds up in the body and may cause damage. B vitamins play a big role, a very important role in this balance. I've noticed that a lot of people who have the genetic SNP MTHFR—no, I'm not cursing at you, that's the name of it—they typically have problems with B vitamin vitamin methylation and have higher homocysteine levels and require more of a B-complex supplement, the one that I Use and recommend. It's called B sixteen from Systemic Formulas. Again, you could get that over at KetoCampSupplements.com. But for the standard reference range for homocysteine, is listed as under fourteen point five umol slash L. Um, that is not the optimal range. The functional medicine range is going to be between five and seven umol slash L. So when you're looking at your um, lab report, make sure you're in between five and seven. The next test is a test called high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. In other words, it's called HSCRP. This is a very important inflammatory marker looking at systemic inflammation. While this protein helps you fight infections, it's also a marker of low-grade inflammation and a predictor of heart disease risk. A lot of doctors, conventional doctors, use HSCRP as a measurement if you're at high risk for heart disease. People with higher HSCRP values have more of an elevated risk of cardiovascular disease than those with a lower value. So it's one of my favorite inflammatory markers to get. Now, when you get your lab report, the standard reference range is going to be between 0 and 3.0 milligrams per liter. But I would say the functional reference range you want to hit and aim for, for CRP, HSCRP, is under 0.5 milligrams per liter. I've noticed a lot of people have issues with caffeine, especially caffeine in coffee. Now, don't get me wrong, I love myself a cup of quality coffee, but the truth is I've seen so many of my Keto Camp Academy students have a glucose spike from caffeine, knocking them out of fasting or creating some digestive issues, bloating, and most commonly, jitters and irritability. We know excessive caffeine and caffeine sensitivity can cause adrenal problems, which has a lot of negative effects. It makes you more dependent on the caffeine, and it puts you in this sympathetic fight or flight state, and for a lot of people, that is problematic. Everyday Dose solves the problem of regular coffee while drastically building on its benefits with added supplements. What I love about Everyday Dose, it's low acidity, cold extracted coffee, and a micro dose of caffeine blended with collagen protein, functional mushrooms, and nootropics which will improve your focus, your energy, and your immunity. I just feel different in a really good way when I have Everyday Dose versus regular coffee, and I want you to experience the same. So if you want to check out Everyday Dose, head over to everydaydose.com slash Ben and use the coupon code KETOCAMP. You're going to get an extra five-on-the-go dose travel pack to take with you anywhere you go. I take these travel packs with me, and it is a game changer because when I'm traveling, it's hard to find first of all, a clean cup of coffee, but almost impossible to find coffee with these functional ingredients. So head over to everydaydose.com ketocamp. Use ketocamp to get your bonus gift or click the link in the podcast notes down below. Now let's transition to other lab markers that are relevant to lipids, fats, cholesterol. The most common question I get asked on social media is about cholesterol. Like, hey, Ben, I started doing keto, and my cholesterol went up, my LDL went up, and my doctor wants me to go on a statin. It is the most common comment and question we get. And it's there's so many moving parts to cholesterol. First of all, more people die with heart disease, with normal to low cholesterol, than with high cholesterol. And it's more dangerous to have low cholesterol than high cholesterol. When I interviewed Dr. Nathan Bryan here on the Keto Camp Podcast just a few months ago, his research is on nitric oxide and he has sh- shown with his research that when your total cholesterol is under 200 it blocks the binding of nitric oxide actually increasing your risk of cardiovascular disease which is crazy because most doctors want you to be under 200 so it was the opposite of what you think so when it comes to your cholesterol and lipid markers here are the markers I suggest you get done to assess if you are at risk for heart disease The first one is a uh, high-density lipoprotein count, which is HDLC. This is often referred to as good cholesterol because it helps remove the bad cholesterol from the body, and it's required for many vital processes within the body. Having high levels of HDL in the optimal range has been shown to decrease your risk of heart disease. Cholesterol is transported by HDL. That's why it's called the good cholesterol because it moves things around and it is going to help remove cholesterol from the arterial walls, which helps prevent, reduce, and even reverse hardening of the arteries, which is called atherosclerosis, and even heart disease. HDL also plays a role in reducing oxidative stress and inflammation, improving cell and immune function, enhancing insulin sensitivity, and may protect against neurodegenerative disorders. The standard reference range for HDL for men... Is going to be 35 to 65 milligrams per deciliters. For women, the standard reference range is 35 to 80 milligrams per deciliter. The functional medicine range we want to aim for for both men and women is going to be between 60 and 90 milligrams per deciliters. You know, one of the best ways to increase your HDL is to eat more healthy fats like grass-fed butter, grass-fed ghee coconut oil, real olive oil, beef and eggs, like all the good stuff on keto. So that's one of the best ways to raise HDL. The next marker is going to be triglycerides. High levels of triglycerides can increase your risk of obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and other chronic conditions. Triglycerides can be stored in fat tissue or can be used as energy. For example, the body can release stored fats into the bloodstream as fatty acids when you don't eat for a prolonged time, like fasting and even ketosis. These fatty acids can travel back to the liver, which transforms them into triglyceride containing very low-density lipoproteins, also called VLDL, that are returned to into the blood. On the other hand, your body stores more triglycerides when you overeat or have an unhealthy diet, such as the good old-fashioned standard American diet. Now, the reference range, the standard reference range for triglycerides is going to be under 150 milligrams per deciliters, but the optimal range you want to aim for, the functional medicine range, is going to be under 90 milligrams per deciliters. This brings me to the final marker here, which is going to be a triglyceride to HDL ratio. Your triglyceride to HDL ratio helps offer a lifelong metric for your health, this is a criteria that many doctors diagnose for metabolic disease, which is briefly known, it was briefly known as Riven's disease, named after Gerald Reaven, who was a medical doctor from Stanford University. He, him and his colleagues, he and his colleagues, they, uh, around the world, pioneered much of the research on this ratio that indicates cardiovascular risk. A triglyceride to HDL ratio is a strong marker of lifestyle factors And your ratio offers a way for you to see whether or not you have a metabolism that is naturally protective against a a cardiovascular disease or whether you need to do some work. So to calculate your triglyceride to HDL ratio, it's pretty simple. You take your total triglycerides and you divide it by your total HDL. And the standard reference range is going to be below 3.5, but the functional medicine range is going to be under 1.5. And let's do this together. I'm just going to give you an example of how to calculate this. So I have my calculator here. Let's say I'm looking at my lab report and my triglycerides are 87. So I'm going to take that total 87 and I'm going to, I'm going to divide it by my total HDL, which is going to be, let's say in this case, 55. That gets me 1.5. And that is right at the upper limit of what I would consider a functional medicine range. So I would say it's a good number. But if, let's give you an example of somebody who is out of a reference range that we want to hit. Let's say somebody's triglycerides are 125. We'll divide that by an HDL of 42. That gets us 2.9, which is a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. You can see we want to get that under 1.5. Those are the nine markers that you want to get done. I'm going to reference them all down below with all the notes and everything I mentioned. I'm going to give you a bonus tip here, and that's going to be test your blood glucose and ketones. You know, there are three different ways to test ketones, breath, urine, and blood. We're not a big fan of urine because it's not going to be that accurate, measuring acetoacetate. And then... Breath meters can be good if you use something like a Biosense, measuring acetone in the breath, but we're going to look at beta-hydroxybutyrate. And we use Keto Mojo to test that in our community, in our Keto Camp Academy. And you can get a Keto Mojo with a discount over at ketocampmachine.com with the coupon code KETOCAMP. But what we want to look at is a fasting glucose. The optimal range for a fasting glucose is going to be between 70 and 90 milligrams per deciliter. So when you're testing your Keto Mojo, your blood finger prick, you want to be in a fasted state of glucose of 70 to 90. That's considered optimal. Now for ketones, we always say in the Keto Camp Academy, don't chase ketones, chase results. So that means there is a sweet spot to hit when it comes to blood ketones. And I believe that's going to be somewhere between 0.8 and 3.8 millimoles. And your Keto Mojo will give you that number. So if you're in that range, when you're doing your keto days, you're doing something right. Some advanced testing is what we teach in our academy called postprandial glucose. And this is going to look at the glucose response from a meal that you've eaten. So postprandial means after eating. An hour after eating, I would recommend testing your blood glucose and blood ketones. Your ketones should remain in the same range of 0.8 to 2.8 if you're doing a keto day, but your blood glucose should stay under 120 milligrams per deciliters an hour after eating. That would be the upper limit. And then two hours after eating, I would recommend testing again. And we want the blood glucose to drop below 100 milligrams per deciliters. If you're hitting those markers, your approach is working for you. And then go get the other nine markers that we mentioned, And you're on the right track. And if you're not hitting those markers, that's also a good thing because it's giving you data. You're not just guessing and thinking keto's working for you or you're not sure if keto's working for you. I would recommend getting these tests done every 60 days. Hopefully, you could go through insurance. If not, you know, pay out of pocket. I personally pay out of pocket. But get them done and make some necessary tweaks according to those markers. You're not treating the paper. We're focusing on your symptoms and how you feel, but these are giving you some clues to your approach. If this episode was valuable to you, please consider sharing it with somebody you know and leaving the podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening from. If you haven't registered for my upcoming Toxins Masterclass, it's one of the best 50 55 minute presentations that you will ever watch to understand what the root cause of inflammation is. The number one cause are these specific toxins that I outline on the masterclass. It's a free masterclass. You could get registered for it over at toxinsmasterclass.com. I'll put that down below in the podcast notes. Thank you for listening. I've got a whole bunch of vitamin G for you today. Talk to you soon.